There we go. So today, as I was thinking about what we were going to talk about, uh, looking around at the world around us, we don't see a lot of people using good judgment, do we? We see a lot of bad judgment being made. We see a lot of bad, bad decisions being made all around, and uh, there seems to be a judgment issue. So I thought I'd talk about how what the uh, Bible has to say about make, using good judgment, particularly what Jesus had to say. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 6, if you're wondering. And as you're turning there, uh, one thing we've got to remember also is that no matter what we see for bad judgment going on in the world around us, God's still in control. I was telling a few folks down back here, I meant to, I've got a global media outreach thing on the bulletin board there. It's been there for too long. I got another one in the mail uh, this past week, and I intended to swap it out. You know, there's the war in Ukraine going on. Uh, and just through global media outreach, 62,000 people have come to Christ since the war started. And that's just through, I don't know how many other Transworld Radio and others that are working with uh, the Ukraine. So more people have come to Christ since that war broke out than have been killed. Praise the Lord. That was a, that was a good spot for inserting a praise the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, so God is in control no matter what we see for judgment going on around us. Uh, but I hope by now you're all in Luke chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 37, and we're going to read all the way to the bottom of the chapter. It's a lengthy passage, but as we look at this passage, we're going to see Jesus speak about judging other people. And he's going to use a number of simple sayings. that are They're all tied together with one theme, which is basically, mind your own business, God's in control. Now, although many of these statements seem simple, some of them are difficult to apply. And love needs to be seen in our attitude in judging others. I'm going to read the passage. We're going to have a word of prayer, and then we'll get looking at it like we traditionally do. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Starts off like this Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. And he spake a parable unto them Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that's in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, then thou shalt see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And why shall you call 
why call to me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house, and digged deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Let's have a word of prayer before we get looking at this. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity you gave us again today to come before you and to lift up your name in this world. Your name is worthy of praise. Your name is the only name worthy of praise. Help us to be able to be good witnesses and show good judgment and to do things the way you would do them. Guide us through this passage by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's look back at verse 17, uh, 37 again. It says, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Jesus makes his point perfectly clear with his very first phrase. Judge not. And then he goes on to give the result of obedience to that simple command. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. He then says almost the exact same thing in regards to condemning someone, and along with some pr principles on forgiveness. So right off the bat, I've heard people say that, uh, well, we, sh we, shouldn't, uh, we should abandon all legal processes as Christians. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's obviously not speaking of legal courts of justice here. He's speaking of the attitude of criticizing and of condemning those folks around us. We must not do that according to Jesus. But let's expand on that a little bit for clarity. Well, what do you mean? Because he, he next goes on to say, well, a, a good tree, a bad tree. He's talking about, he's, he then goes right into making judgment calls. So what do you mean, not make judgment, and then the next statement out of your mouth, Jesus, is talking about judging things? So we've got to clarify this a little bit. But if we're harsh in our judgments to other people, we're often going to find that they're happy to return the favor to us, aren't they? But on the other hand, if we're slower to pass judgment on folks, they're often a little more willing to cut us some slack, right? We see that even in the world around us. And it's that very simple understanding that it's true. But unfortunately, that's as far as a lot of people take this study. Ah, we'll just, if I'm easy on them, they'll be easy on me, and we'll all live, live and get along, right? But the person who's quick to judge the actions of others is in reality inviting the judgment of God upon himself, isn't he? See... And the one with a forgiving attitude is the one who's likely to be forgiven. Now, let me make it perfectly clear. I'm not talking about salvation based on your attitude and your judgment on 
your attitude of forgiveness to other people. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that the true man of God is not going to be a judgmental person. It's not going to be their, own, their nature. What sort of folks, make an example here, what sort of folks does God accept and forgive? Somebody help me out here. Lousy sinners like you, right? That's, that's the sort of people Jesus forgives. Lousy sinners like me, too. And then, by His grace, He changes them so that they're not such lousy sinners, right? I hope that's what He's done for you. And if you have a forgiving spirit, that's very strong evidence that you yourself have been forgiven and that you are being changed by God, don't you see? That's what Jesus is saying here. And He goes on, verse 38. He says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. You see, this is another aspect of the forgiven. The forgiven are open-hearted. And many times open-heartedness has consequences. Jesus commands the disciples to be giving. Not only should we be forgiving, but we need to be giving as well. And he reminds them that when they do this, other people are going to respond in kind. Notice that this is not God doing the return giving. A lot of people teach that. I've heard all kinds of people teach that. It's not God giving the return giving. I've had just about enough hearing folks pretend to quote this passage and then try to tell me that God's the one who's going to be doing the heaping. What does it say? Who does it say is going to be doing the heaping here? Men give unto your bosom. Yes, God may influence them, but Jesus chose his words very carefully here. Jesus chose his words very carefully here. Notice also, this isn't speaking of giving to God. It's speaking of men to men. This is man to man transaction that Jesus is talking about. To make it anything else, we're kind of losing the point. This is men to men. Some folks will try to say, uh, well, God's going to pay you. You can't outgive God, you'll hear. Uh, and they're usually the people who are looking for you to pay their ministry. And they're not responsible to pay you back. God will, God will take care of you. That's not what it's talking about. That's an insidious teaching. Watch out. But not only is this, if you've got a giving attitude, not only is it going to be reproduced in kind, Jesus says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It sounds messy, doesn't it? But honestly, what he's saying is that this is going to be a hearty return. If you've got a giving attitude, you're going to see a hearty return. It's going to be given into your bosom, it says. This has nothing to do with the rest of the story, but I'm going to give you a little history lesson. Uh, the Greek word is kolpon. Uh, people in those days, they'd wear a long tunic. They'd wear a pretty broad belt, not like the belt I've got. This is about an inch and a half leather belt. They'd wear a broad belt. It would be up higher. The fold of your tunic would be kind of draped over that uh, girdle or belt or whatever you want to call it. And you'd have a pocket there. 
not, not a pocket like in my pants pockets here, but it would be like a pouch that you'd, you'd hang over the, over the belt. That's your kolpan. That's where you'd keep things. You'd use it like a pocket. They didn't have pockets on clothes in those days. It took centuries before people figured out how to put pockets on things. I don't, it's hard for me to understand that, but it took a long time for people to figure out. So they'd use this, this flap, and that's what they use. That's their kolpan. That's what it's going to be heaped into. It's going to be stuffed right into your pocket, Jesus is saying. Now, you know, you've noticed that in a lot of areas of life, there's an attitude of reciprocity, isn't there? If you do this, I'll do that. If you do this, I'll do that. Uh, even the world knows that. What goes around comes around, they say. We get back what we put in, they say. Well, Jesus is saying something different here. What Jesus is saying is that if you're a generous person, you can expect more than reciprocity. You can expect to come out on top. And I think that's kind of interesting. But he moves on. He says that he makes a parable. He spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? Seems a little unrelated, but let's, let's look at it. Jesus is now turning to the responsibility of the disciples to make more disciples. That's where we're headed. We haven't quite got there yet. And he uses several metaphors to make this point. First of all, he speaks of a blind man trying to lead another blind man. If the leader can't see any better than the follower, then the only future they can expect is disaster. We see that all around us, don't we? We've got blind leading the blind in every aspect of life. And we can expect disaster. I don't need to point out any examples. You've already got them coming to mind. The point Jesus tries to make here is that this is exactly what folks can expect if they continue to follow the Pharisees. If they continue following the Pharisees, you're going to expect disaster. But in a broader sense... It's a warning to be careful who you're following. Be careful who you're following. There's also a warning here about the leadership the disciples will be offering. He's, Jesus is calling these guys, you've got to go out and you're going to make more disciples. Be careful how your leadership is. See, the disciples can't hope to guide anybody else if they can't clearly see where they're going themselves. Let me break it down one more click. If you don't know the way of salvation yourself, then how in the world are you going to lead someone else to salvation? The best you can hope for in that case is to lead them to disaster. Pretty serious stuff to think about, isn't it? From what seems like a pretty simple verse. Then Jesus moves on. He explains it a little further. Verse 40, he says, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that's perfect shall be as his master. In this illustration, Jesus is reminding these folks of their status. They are disciples. And we see similar statements in other places. Uh, in fact, let, while we're right here, we've got lots of time. Let's go to uh, chapter 22, verse 27. Also in Luke. Verse 
Luke 22, 27. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you as he that serveth. This is Jesus talking about master-servant relationships here. It's very similar circumstances to what we're talking about. Uh, if you go back to Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. And in John chapter 13, verse 16, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. little promise there if you can understand what we're talking about here. So talking about master and servant relationships, bear that thought in mind because we're about to come back to it. This is something Jesus taught more than once to these people. So he thought it was very important. And he taught it in many different ways. The student is always limited by the teaching that he gets. While he is a student... He can never know more than his teacher. As a side note, the only way to know more than your teacher is to be a teacher yourself. But I don't really have time to get into that today. Jesus talked a little bit about that. I, I will get into it a little bit today. Uh, uh, Jesus talked about that when he was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4. Forgive me, I'm not going to go in depth with this. But the Samaritan woman was coming to the well to get a drink. That's all she wanted. She's thirsty. She wants a drink. She's going to go away. She's going to come back tomorrow and do the same thing. But Jesus makes an interesting statement there that the person who drinks of the well that he offered is going to have flowing out of him living water. There's an awful lot of people who teach the Bible. And they, they read the Bible. They teach it. But they haven't really taken it in themselves. Until you've taken that teaching in yourself, you don't have that living water coming out of you. Have you ever noticed how some preachers really seem to have the living word pouring out of them, and others it's just kind of, yeah, it's truth, but it's, it's flat. That's the difference, Jesus says. I said I wasn't going to get into it. I only just touched on it. I, we'll go back. We need to understand this in terms of uh, Jesus' day as well. See, the, in Jesus' day, the source of education to a young Jew was the rabbi he was training with, Right? He sits with his rabbi and learns things. To claim that you're above your rabbi is to be pretty presumptuous, isn't it? See, the disciple's goal was to be like his rabbi. And that was only possible when he's fully taught. The word perfect here is kartizo, which means complete. It's sometimes used to refer to fixing something that was broken. That's how it's used in Mark chapter 1, verse 19, if you want to look at that. I'm not going to right now. It also refers to something being fully made, which I would like to look at. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear, the worlds that were framed by the Word of God. Framed, they were completely made by the Word of God. 
See, the disciple of Jesus needs to make it his goal to be like Jesus. We call ourselves Christians. We claim to be disciples of Jesus. We ought to have as our goal, consciously before our mind, I gotta, how can I be more like Jesus today? How can I be more like Jesus today? I confess I don't think about that often as I ought to. But that ought to be on our forefront of our mind before anything else. You can't lay aside the commandment to love as though you've, I've grown beyond that. And it, it's unreasonable to expect a disciple to know more than his teacher. So it's very important for the teacher to be as advanced as possible in a Christian teachings, right? If we're expecting to be teaching other people to be our disciples, to follow us as we follow Christ, then it's our responsibility to teach ourselves as much as possible, right? That's enough to work on right there. See, both the student and the teacher need to be on their guard against the spiritual blindness and lack of love. And then Jesus goes on to talk about hypocrisy, verses 41 and 42. We've got to look at them together. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that's in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that's in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that's in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite! Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, then thou shalt see clearly to pull out the mote that's in thy brother's eye. Jesus goes on to rebuke the hypocrisy with a, the illustration of a, a dust moat and a beam. Now, at this point, I've got to point out to you that uh, Jesus had no problem using a bit of sarcastic humor to make his points from time to time. If you're paying attention, he used it a lot. Many times people seem to get this idea that Jesus was always totally solemn when in fact he had quite a sense of humor. And in this picture, he's asking the disciples to imagine a hypocrite with a huge beam sticking out of his eye as he tries to help somebody remove a little dust mote from their eye. And as funny as that picture is, it's a very serious problem in this world, isn't it? Quite often, the slight imperfections that other folks have seem a whole lot more apparent than the huge imperfections in my own life, don't they? See, Jesus is calling for rigid self-examination here. He's not saying don't try and help pick that moat out of your brother's eye, but you better have pretty rigid self-examination. Fix your own life, then help your brother. He's not saying don't help your brother. We don't really have to concern ourselves as much with the puny little problems that other folks may have. After all, there's not a lot we can do to straighten them out in the first place. Right? There's not much I can do to change anyone else. All I can do is try to change myself and become a little bit more in line with Jesus. Especially when my vision's that clouded. And then Jesus talks about a tree and its fruit in verses 43 and 44. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. 
talking about a tree and its fruit. He doesn't bother to explain what he means by a good tree and a bad tree. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but the next phrase that follows it makes it a little bit more clear. He says it's the fruit of the tree is what we're getting at, not the tree itself. Figs and grapes are pitted against brambles and thorns. Now, the point is this. We know the different types of plants by the fruit that they put out, right? There can be, I mean, right now the apples and the pear trees are in bloom. Now, I'm not a botanist. It's hard for me to distinguish whether that, is that a pear tree or is that an apple tree? They're in the same family. They look very similar. The blossoms look the same. They smell about the same. They get the same kind of bees on them until I see, wow, that's a pear. It's hard for me to tell a pear from an apple. We know the different types of plants by the fruit that they bear. You can't pick fruit from a type of tree that's not the right type. Other trees yield other kinds of fruit. And it's the same thing in our lives. Your life ought to be showing the fruit. You claim to be a Christian, you ought to be showing Christian fruits. That's pretty self-explanatory. I'm not going to go into any further detail on that. But Jesus takes it a little bit further in verse 45. He changes it a little bit. He changes it from looking at the example of trees and their fruit to men. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Good people like good trees, produce good fruit. The good man produces his fruit out of the good treasure of his heart. It's what a man has in his heart that determines the kind of fruit that his life is going to yield. I come back to that illustration Jesus used of out of his belly is going to flow living water. Does he have that living water inside of him? It's the same way with evil men as well. Out of his evil nature, he's going to produce evil fruit. And we see that all around us as well. Jesus gives us the key at the end. For out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaks. Did you know that there's always a reason for each word you say? Whether you realize it or not. The Bible over and over says, especially in the Old Testament, about measuring our words. And that's sound advice. What you say reveals what's in your heart. A corrupt heart is going to have corrupt language, and I'm not just talking about swearing. I'm talking about just going on and on about nothing. No, no substance to your conversation. And a good heart is going to have good language. An empty heart is going to have empty words. And a rich heart is going to have valuable words. You can apply it in every kind of characteristic you want to. Jesus simply says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in your heart, if, it's, if you've got a rich heart, then you're going to have rich words. If you've got an empty heart, you're going to have empty words. And then Jesus goes on to speak about foundations. 
and this sermon that he's going to give on foundations is a lot like the one in Matthew in that it ends in an impressive reminder of the importance of acting on the teaching that Jesus has given. Jesus spent three, three and a half years giving teachings to people. What are you going to do with these teachings? We've got these teachings bound up in this book. What are you doing with these teachings? It's not about how to build a house. It's about what are you doing with the teachings. Now, the sermon in Matthew is different than the one in Luke that we're looking at today. In that Matthew, the difference is in the two different sites. The focus is on the the building site. Here, the emphasis is on what they do at the building site. And I think that's significant. I'm not going to go ahead and look the Matthew one up yourself. I'm not going to go into it today. But the focus is different there. Let's look at verse 46 before we get to that. He's shifting gears, see. He says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Apparently some of these folks who are listening have already shown themselves to be false disciples. I can see this in the fact that Jesus asked them, Why do you say I'm Lord, Lord, but you don't obey? You don't obey. If you call somebody your Lord, you owe them your allegiance, right? I mean, we think back to old times. Uh, well, yes, my Lord. You owe, you're owing this individual your allegiance. To use the word Lord twice, Lord, Lord, to really put a lot of emphasis on that point. Yes, I owe you not just my allegiance, I owe you everything. If you're, if you're saying it twice, this is very significant. You see the point here? The words, calling somebody Lord, Lord, what you say is no substitute for obedience. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you're not even obeying what I'm saying, Jesus says. And now we get the illustration of the building. Whosoever cometh to me and hears my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he's like. He's like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Jesus is speaking of a man who pays attention to what he has to say. Jesus says something, this guy pays attention and does it. That guy's like a builder. He digs a deep foundation, puts it on a solid rock. That's essential for having a sound structure, by the way. But it's time-consuming, and it's expensive. And some folks just don't, play, just don't bother. But then when the storms come and the floods rage, the house on the rock is going to stand. See, the hard work is worth it then, isn't it? Hard work when you're doing the work, when you're doing foundation work, ground work. It does, man, I'm working hard. Why don't I just build the place? A lot of people do that in their Christian lives too, don't they? They don't put the effort in to dig deep, to put a foundation down. But boy, when the storms of life come along, that's when it's really going to shine, isn't it? Boy, I sure am glad I took the time to dig in and find out what Jesus was really saying there. That's when it's going to make a difference. 
day like this, it doesn't matter. You could live in a tent. I, was, I thought that last night when I stepped out just before I went to bed, stepped out in the lawn, I said, man, what a beautiful camping night. It doesn't matter if I'm in my house or if I'm in a tent. Beautiful. But it's when you're in a storm, boy, that's when you're glad you've got a real roof over your head. I went camping one time, me and the boys, we were camping in Maine. There wasn't much dirt. There was a lot of uh, rock, very shallow, and boy, did it pour. I mean, it was coming down. And it was like tenting in a river. Uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, that's when it makes a difference what you've got for a foundation, don't you see? I hope you see the parallel to our spiritual life. And when the final test comes in Judgment Day, it's the foundation on which our lives have been built that's going to matter. You can see what Paul has to say about that. I encourage you, go home this afternoon, see what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He talks about foundations. What is your life going to be founded on? Is it going to be precious stones, or is it going to be wood, hay, or stubble? Look at that yourself. I'm not getting into it today. Jesus is also making the application to the storms of life, too. If you've taken the time to build a solid spiritual foundation, then you're not going to be easily upset by life's difficulties. We all have difficulties, don't we? We all have stresses. We all have these. How do you react to them? When you see how somebody reacts to it, you can tell whether or not they put a decent foundation in or not. Are they washed away by it all the time? Well, and they didn't take the time to build a good foundation, did they? Let's wrap up with verse 49 and we'll be done. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. You see, there's a different situation with the house that's built on ground without a foundation. When the floods come on that house, it's going to collapse immediately. Immediately. It's not going to stand up for any time at all. There's no way it can stand up to the onslaughts of life. And that's the man that hears the Word of God and does not act on it. He's building a life with no foundation. You're wasting your time. You're worse than wasting your time. Anything you've done is going to be taken away, and its ruin is going to be great. It's actually worse than wasting your time. To hear the Word of God and not do anything about it is worse than useless. This person may have every outward appearance of respectability. I'm sure it was a very nice-looking house. Nobody knows what the foundation is. Nobody comes and looks at your cellar, right? That's a beautiful house. But boy, when the storm comes, it's all over. He may have seemed respectable. He might have even been a religious man, but he doesn't have any foundation, you see. When you hear this word of God, what are you doing with it? Which one are you going to be? We're talking about using good judgment. Those are quite a few different aspects of using good judgment today, isn't it? Let's try to learn to use good judgment as we go through life. That'll set us apart from the rest of the world, don't you think? All right. Hey, thank you. I was looking for that there. You mind if I close in a word of prayer here? 
Lord, I thank you for these simple truths. Simple truths with a lot of depth. You are a good and you're a gracious God. You've provided so many things for us. You've shown us just the way. You've led us by example how to live this life. Help us to pay attention to it. Help us to walk in your ways. And as we do that, we're going to bear good fruit. Make us different in this world around us. Help us to attract some more of this world to us and thus to you. Because I don't think there's much more time. We're looking forward to you coming back. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right. Let us... uh stand together here we're going to close out today with uh days of elijah that will uh be up on the board here so uh let us stand together and sing days of elijah
let uh, let us keep uh, Pastor and Kim in your prayers this week as they're going to be traveling home again, and uh, we look forward to having them back. So we'll uh, see you guys all next week, and uh, let's have a great week. Count people mark, build a name for yourself. Dream your dreams, chase your heart.